0: Welcome to the Media Ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this now, message by Pastor Bill, Steve Michael, Woodrow. Sarah. Michael's been here several times, been with us over the years at our G3 conferences and everything. And uh, I just want Michael to just give us a quick update what's happening with Reclamation Church in Denver. And then if you would pray and introduce Ben, that would yeah. be wonderful. Yeah, pleasure to be here with you guys uh, this morning, and um, just want to say thank you because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing in Denver had it not been for this church uh, getting behind us and supporting us. Uh, a lot of you have, have contributed and donated, and uh, and because of that, we're up and running and doing really well and growing. Uh, so we're just moving our services to Sunday nights, which should also help. Um, we've got a space in the Platte Park area of Denver, which is just an incredible provision from God, especially knowing the price of real estate in Denver, Colorado, which just doesn't happen. And so this really is quite a miracle. The the church there that we're using has been partnering with us, and uh, we're even looking at doing some ministry stuff together, which is really exciting. Um, And then, you know, right now we're still sort of in the the building, fundraising stage of church development, Um, but I've got a quick testimony of something that happened this week that I think will just sort of speak for itself as to what... Uh, what Jesus is doing there. Uh, this just came in from uh, a lady who's, there's a whole group of people that have been coming from another part of town just to come visit our church because they they like what we're doing. Um, and so here's what she said. Uh, Praise report. So grateful for reclamation and the blessing of the body of Christ that you've been to all of us who've been coming to fellowship with you from Broomfield. What a joy to see Jesus so alive and active in his church. I brought my parents with me this past week. My dad had a major eye infection. He's had these since he was a kid, but this was the worst we've seen with a very large bump under under his eye. He raised his hand for healing, and y'all graciously prayed for him. Thank you, uh, Joe and Spencer, who prayed for him. What a beautiful time of prayer, too. His eye, was, uh, his eye immediately had no more pain. And the next morning, the bump was almost completely gone. He went to his doctor today, who also saw it on Tuesday, and he was astonished at how much it has improved. All glory to God. Then Joe asked my mom how her ankle was doing, since they prayed for it over a month ago. The ankle was healed. Um, sorry, I just lost my spot. Uh, the ankle was healed, but had moved up to uh, upper leg to the knee. So they prayed over all of it again, and the spirit, a spirit manifested itself, and she was delivered it was a deliverance over unworthiness that had kept her in stubbornness for so long. She is rejoicing in her liberation. So grateful for God and continues what he continues to prune in her life. What an amazing God we serve. Hallelujah. Thank you for your faithfulness and uh, for the Lord, for allowing the Holy Spirit to move. So grateful for all of the people at Reclamation and their love for the Lord. This is just awesome. And, and this wasn't the pastors or leadi- leaders that prayed for her. This is just two people in our community. That we have just set free to be Holy Spirit terrorists, and that's what they did, you know, uh, reigning, you know, God's power and victory over the power of darkness. So uh, the, the man speaking today is Ben Rutledge. Uh, I've known Ben for about, I don't know, what, seven years, six years? Yeah, somewhere around there. He's moved up from uh, Dallas, Texas uh, to be a part of the community and uh, just following the leading of the Lord. Uh, he's one of the most gracious, kind-hearted men—a uh, true pastor in the very, in every sense of the word. Like the one who goes after the lost sheep, uh, does this to the least of these. And so, it's my honor and privilege to to get to hear from him today. And I'm thankful that we get to share him with you guys. So, you guys give him a round of applause, and I'll pray for him when he comes up. All
1: right, can you guys hear me? Good deal. I mean, I'll pray for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Ben. I ask that you would anoint the words on his mouth, um, that your word would be living and active. It would be like the hammer that shatters the rock. Would you cause it to divide in us what needs to be divided and uh, to sanctify us and wash us and cleanse us with your word. Uh, I pray that you would do this mightily and powerfully today. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, and I just want to kind of echo what Michael said. We're just really grateful for this community up here. You guys have been more than generous to us, and just opening your homes and supporting us, and even providing some eldership oversight while we kind of grow our own. Um, so it's just been Steve and the gang, all of them, just been such a blessing. So thank you. Um, also, I may sit down some this morning. I rolled my ankle about three weeks ago. I know, I know, poor me. Um, so it's just not quite a hundred percent. So we may have a little fireside chat if that's okay. So. <laughs> Um, I'm going to talk this morning a little bit on a, a topic that I think sometimes gets a little bit of a, a heavy rap, not a bad rap, but a heavy rap, and that's the idea of surrender. Um, how many of you guys have, have heard a lot of sermons in your life, but frankly, maybe not that many that stuck with you? And I know that's been the case for me. I know, I believe the word of God doesn't come back void, but, you know, I've heard thousands of sermons in my life, but there's, there's a few that have really, really stood out, and one of them was a similar message that I heard, and this was probably my junior year of college. Um, So picture 21-year-old me, a junior at uh, Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. Had hair down to about here then. Um, And not knowing what I was going to do after I graduated, kind of starting to consider all those questions. I knew I had one more year of college, and then, okay, God, what? Um, And my story in college was a lot of kind of, okay, what am I supposed to major in? You know, all those fears of what does God want me to do? And I really feel like the Lord said, hey, pick something. It's going to be tent making, and it's not necessarily going to be what you're called for, but I'll use it to provide. And so there's this big kind of blank slate feeling, and I remember hearing this this message from a man named Tommy Gable. And Tommy Gable, I'll try to paint the picture for you, was a missionary. Um, He was, at the time, in Nicaragua, and, uh, you know, just this really kind of jolly man, white hair, big smile. Uh, unmistakable North Carolina Piedmont accent. I wish Brian was here because he would know what I'm talking about. Is that kind of accent where you pronounce the H and Y. Like, why do we do this, you know? (laughs) What? So this is Tommy, and he he preached on surrender. And he did it in a way that um, it's with this kind of experience, this, hey, I'm down the road a little ways. Come on in. The water is fine you know, kind of attitude. And I think something for me, especially where I was at with all the questions I had of God, what do you want for my future? What are you going to do? It just, it sets something at ease inside of me, I think. And, you know, I'm up here not with that kind of life experience of someone who has uh, decades on the mission field. Uh, There's a lot of you in this room who have a lot more time on this road of surrender than I do. But what I bring that up to say, I think something about the way he presented this topic of surrender I think is reminiscent of what Paul, in the passage we're going to cover today, I think is trying to use to encourage believers. And I think like some other topics, like you know prayer or holiness, these things that are meant to actually be gifts to us, they get turned into works and they get made heavy. Um, but they're actually supposed to be, bring us a lot of freedom and usher us into the life of God. And I think just like uh, Paul, Tommy knew that this road of surrender... Um, is one that not only is it the proper response to the gospel, and that's how Paul presents it here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is what are going to be our verses for today. But it's also um, a key to knowing God, and it's a key to finding his will for our lives. Um, and I think, you know, we turn it into this, this kind of heaviness sometimes, and, um, you know, prayer is like that. How I mean, you know, prayer is supposed to be a gift to us, to know that whatever's burdening us, whatever's on our hearts, that, we can go and uh, bring it before the king of the universe and know that he hears us. But often we feel like, oh, I don't pray enough, and it's this work, I don't do it enough. And I think surrender often is in a, is in a similar category. Um, and I hope we, uh, I hope to convey something this morning of what uh, Tommy conveyed to that room of angsty college students, of which I was one, um, uh, this morning. So I'm going to read our, our, our text here. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I exhort you, brothers... Through the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what is the good, well pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, we've heard this verse a lot on its own. Um, I think we all hear that that verse a fair amount, um, especially the first part of it, right? That submit yourself as a living sacrifice. Um, but I think it's helpful. Real quick, we're gonna—we've been studying Romans in our um, in our church. We actually haven't gotten to twelve yet. But I'm gonna set a little context for Romans. We're gonna do the world's quickest recap of Romans. You ready? Which is not easy to do. <laughs> How many of you know you studied Romans? That's not easy to do. But um, you know, the Roman church was a mix of Jew and Gentile, and for a lot of kind of complex historical and political reasons, um, there was—you know—the Jews had left Rome and had come back. And so the the faith that had been given to these believers in Rome, the apostles probably hadn't visited yet, was actually from the day of Pentecost, that Jews who were visiting Jerusalem experienced what happened at Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit and took the gospel back to Rome. And so that's kind of your context here. So you had this very kind of Jewish faith, you had the Gentile believers, the Jews had left and the Gentiles had kind of come into leadership in the church. And when the Jews, Jewish believers returned, now it's kind of, you know, this Paul's trying to present this gospel to this very mixed audience of how, does, how are the Gentiles grafted in to this kind of Jewish faith? Well, how does the gospel relate to both, right? And there's all these kind of tensions that Paul's, Paul's writing to. But he does this amazing job of presenting the gospel in Romans. And he does this, it's this very elaborate argument, but he shows that both Jew and Gentile alike have fallen short and deserve the full penalty of sin. Um, and no matter where you come from, what your background is, you need, you need this, this gospel message. And then he goes forth to present the gospel by grace through faith, um, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes to paint this also beautiful picture of that those whom he knew would be saved, he had already predetermined to sanctify into the image of Jesus and ultimately glorify. And there's these benefits that come with this, this spirit of adoption, this Holy Spirit as the down payment, right, of our faith. Um, and these gifts that come with it, these mercies of God that Paul refers to here in in 12. Um, This, uh, what are some of the other benefits here? I wrote some down. Um, This promise to work all things together for our good, right? Eternally speaking, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, That we have a spirit that intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. Um, There's this love of God that he goes into in, in, in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from, right? So, it's in light of all of this that now we get to Romans 12, right? He's this, it's in light of these manifold mercies and gifts of God, therefore. And so Paul takes this pivot in Romans 12 toward his application. So what does it mean now? How do we live this out? How do we apply this to our lives? And he goes on to list a lot of ways that that happens, but he starts with this idea of surrender, and he starts with, you know, I think it, for Paul, this was the first button on the shirt. And how many of you know, like, if you ever try to put on a shirt and you miss a button, it, the rest, it's, it's hard to line up the rest. And I think surrender, this idea uh, that Paul's going to present to us here is that. It's the start of his application. So um, he tells us to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, how many of you guys know when you hear this verse, certain things come up and come to mind? Um you know, for me, when I was 21, listening to that message for the first time, I know I'd heard messages on surrender before, um, but this one, for whatever reason, I'll give credit to the Holy Spirit, um, but it, it really resonated. And, But I had these fears. I mean, I guess I have these fears that sometimes come up with an idea like surrender. I think at that age, I was afraid I was just going to be called to be single and on the mission field somewhere dangerous forever, you know? Um, whatever it may be that we're, we uh, are afraid of, and I think this often stems from, you know, we may not be at a point in our lives where, where we fully trust his goodness. Um, or maybe we had experiences that just cause us to doubt. I mean, you know, that's just life sometimes. You know, you wrestle with those things. And um, it also kind of makes sense, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to give control over to something you don't trust is good. Um, so until we trust his goodness, it's really difficult to surrender. Um, and I think that's also why the context is important here because Paul has made this this argument for the goodness of God, right through the gospel, the good news and he's he's built up to this point where this isn't starting in a vacuum here um, for some of us uh, let's be honest there's just things we're afraid to give up we all have those things our our hearts are are idle factories there's things we look to every day for happiness and fulfillment that aren't aren't God um, and we're afraid to have to lay those things down um, I think that ties into the first because often deep down we're what we're really afraid of is that uh he's not gonna be better than those things, right, so I think there's a lot of overlap between those two um but they they can be distinguished um and how many of you know that i mean i'm <laughs> i mean every day right there's something new that I think, oh when I get that, I'll be happy, oh when i get right I'm a very future oriented person, so always making plans kind of the next thing, and it's it's very easy to slip into. Um, day in, day out, like that's going to be what actually, when I arrive, right, whatever it may be. Um, and then for some of us, it's it's just not knowing how it practically applies to our life. It can be a little bit of an intangible idea sometimes, and it's easy to pray a prayer on a Sunday or hear a message, but then like Monday morning, what does it look like? What's it like to live a surrendered life? Um, and so I think all of these things, um, the the word speaks to Um, and I think Paul actually speaks to some of them right in this little, very dense little passage of two verses, uh, or some of them he's spoken to kind of leading up to this passage. Um, And I think depending on which day you ask me, I could fall into into any one of these three camps. What hour you ask me of the day, I could probably fall into any one of these three camps. Um, And I think that's also why Paul introduces this idea of a living sacrifice. How many guys know a living sacrifice can get off the altar, (laughs) right? Sometimes the heat gets hot. Sometimes I get off the altar. Sometimes I'll give something to God, and then, you know, things get stressful, things get tight, whatever, and I take control back. Um, and it's this its this process, right? It's this relationship. Um, and so Paul's taking this idea here of a living sacrifice. Now, his audience, Jew and Gentile, were very familiar with this idea of sacrifice. There was almost no religion in the ancient world that didn't involve sacrifice in some form. Um, we're very familiar, most of us, with our Old Testament, so we're familiar with the the Jewish idea of, of sacrifice and God's commands and, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Um, but uh, all of his audience would have been familiar with this idea of sacrifice. But how many know sacrifices aren't living? They may be alive up to the point of sacrifice, but they're not living sacrifices. So Paul's taking this idea and kind of flipping it on its head. Um, and he says, because it's your, your reasonable, some versions say spiritual, uh, but your reasonable act of worship, in light of everything that God's done, this is this is what makes sense, is is as a response. Um, how many know that the animals of the Old Testament they weren't making a, a reasoned decision on their own to be sacrifices? <laughs> Didn't have much say in the matter, right? Um, but we do, and so Paul's saying here. That's why he's he's exhorting us to make this this act of the will to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Um, and I think the living here also it's ongoing. Right, it's not, um, it's not this one-time thing, although I think it can start there. I think like, like many things, even our you know, decision to put our trust in God, it starts with an act of the will, but it doesn't stop there. How many of you know it? That's just the beginning of the relationship. And I think sac- this idea of sacrifice that Paul's presenting to us is, is very similar. Um, this idea of, of reasonable, you know, when I, when I see Paul present this as a, as a reasonable act of worship... I can't help but hear uh, echoes of Jesus' words in, in Luke 14 where he says, you know, would any of you before building a building not sit down first and count the cost? You know, again, I need Brian here, my, the, who, the builders in the house. Um, you know, how, how do you, you know, you don't begin a project without first counting the cost, not if you're wise. And so here Paul's saying, look, look at what Christ has done for you. Weigh the cost of what Christ, and in light of what he's done, the only reasonable response is to in turn give him everything because he gave everything, right? So it is a reasonable act of worship in that sense, although to the world, how many of you know, and even to our flesh, it doesn't feel very reasonable, right? It doesn't feel reasonable. It feels kind of irrational, actually, to this idea of kind of surrendering control. Um, But it's only in light of what Christ has done that it becomes reasonable. Because how many of you know it also from... Uh, depending on how you look at it, it doesn't seem very reasonable what Christ did for us either. While we were yet sinners, like we didn't deserve what he did, right? And it was an act of of love and an act of sacrifice. Um, And so that's the context here. So what am I saying by living sacrifice? Um, Am I saying kind of give God the blank check? Yeah, I am. The God, whatever, however, whenever, wherever, for however long, with whoever, um, it's yours. And again, I know that's easy to say and a lot harder to, to live out. Um, but that's also why we have, it's not by striving, it's not by effort either. And that's also something, when you read through Romans, if you've gotten to this point in Romans, you know, you're probably not... Uh, operating from a place of, I have to do this in my own strength or effort. Because Paul's been very clear that this comes by grace, and we have a Holy Spirit inside of us um, to empower us to live out and live lives worthy of the cost uh, that Christ paid on the cross. So, um, but I do think it starts there. So let's, let's kind of jump into this kind of first objection here. This, is God really good? Right, that's for a lot of us. And again, I'm I'm with you. I've had, you know, I've worked through. There's been seasons where I thought I, I trusted His goodness, and then something would test whether I believed that He was good. Um, and I'm still learning this this lesson, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I think it can. Uh, here's a good good example for me. I'll give you guys um, kind of a story. Again, you know, Paul is telling us this in light of the gospel he's just presented, you know, hopefully we're believing that he's good. But an a tangible example for me that's very close to my heart. I had a, um, a five-year-old niece who passed away of a brain tumor seven, eight years ago now. It's been a long time. And I remember my family was kind of going through all of that. And this was when the doctors had kind of given her 30 days left. And so we're like, okay, hey, praying for healing, believing that whole wrestle. Right. And that's the thing that's very difficult. Um, to, to go through. It doesn't make sense, right? Like it it's not something that you can compute why this would happen or why. And I remember when I, I kind of was in, I had been living two hours away. I kind of moved back home just to be around the family for all of this. And I remember there was a Sunday morning where I just, you know, we just didn't really feel like going to church because um, I hadn't been to my parents' church in a while and just had a lot going on. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't really feel like small talking, which I knew it would be a lot of that because people hadn't seen me in years. And so it's going to be, Hey, how's college? And I'm like, Hey, graduated a couple years ago. Thanks. Um, uh, you know, so I went to a a coffee shop that my older brother owned at the time and just took my Bible and my, uh, you know, journal and was just sitting there. And I remember wanting to, of course, read something in the Psalms. You're just like looking for comfort, (laughs) you know, sometimes you're just like, you're just hunting. And, but what I felt like the Holy Spirit said was, I felt like he said, read Genesis three. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read Genesis three. That's like the saddest. That's where everything went wrong. Like, why would I want to read Genesis three? Um, it's the story of the fall, and I felt like he was like, read Genesis three. And I'm kind of being stubborn, and I'm like, you know, I just felt it, felt the Holy Spirit prodding me, and so I did. I read Genesis three, um, and noth- felt nothing. And then I felt his voice come again and say, "Read it again." So I was like, okay. Because how many of you know my attitude just wasn't that great the first time I read through it, right? Um, So I got up, got me a refill of coffee, sat back down, and I read through it. And I felt like this, it hit me. um, And I just, it was completely the Holy Spirit. But I felt like he just said, you know, in the beginning, man had a choice between understanding why bad things happen to good people, understanding the problems of evil and good, or relationship with goodness itself. Thought I'd be able to get through this one. But, and I felt like he gave me the same choice, right? Do you trust me? Or do you need to understand? And, hmm, get at myself for a second here. Um, <clears throat> something about that genuinely preserved my heart through that season. And I can't tell you how or why, but I somehow came out of all of that trusting his goodness more than I did before. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Um, and now I don't mean to say that it was an easy journey. I don't mean to say there wasn't some yelling at God in between and some hard prayers and some dark nights. But I think, you know, I made a choice in that moment. He presented me with a choice. Do you trust me? And you know I'm still learning that. You can go through things like that, and how many know like we have we're spiritual goldfish, and we remember those things until the next thing happens, and then okay, well is he good this time? Is he going to be good again? Right? Um, and so it's a lesson I'm I'm very much still still learning. Um, but. I can, I can sit here and say that I trust his goodness more than I did before. And I've been through more since then. Things that you, I have to give the glory and credit to him because it wasn't my flesh. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it, it was him in spite of me that got me through those things. Um, so <clears throat> the next reason I think we're, uh, we hesitate when we hear things on top things on the topic of surrender is this uh, we just have things that we're afraid to give up and how many of you know the thing probably just popped into your head right then yeah. right that thing that causes you to just pucker up a little bit that thing that oh don't touch that please please don't right um for this i want to take us to the the story of uh abraham and isaac in the Old Testament. And Paul actually references Abraham in Romans a few times, so I feel like it's legal to bring it in here. Um, how many of you guys know that Abraham was carrying a promise from God? A promise that when God changed his name from Abram to Abraham and said, I'm going to make the fa- you the father of many nations, and through you, the messianic line is going to come. The Messiah is going to come through, through your descendants. And Abraham had a... How many of know he was wealthy? He had enough servants to when Lot, when his nephew, was kidnapped, he could basically had to make an army to rescue and attack kings and rescue his nephew. So he had this army of servants. He had livestock. He had, you know, uh, a wife so beautiful he had to lie to Pharaoh or felt like he had to lie so he wouldn't be killed for her, right? So from a worldly perspective, right, all, the, all these status symbols, these things, like Abraham had it going on, but what he didn't have was a firstborn son. And what he didn't have was someone to fulfill and carry out the promise of God on his life yet. So God had given Abraham Isaac. We know he tried with Ishmael, right, in his own striving and effort because he didn't trust. And then Isaac comes along. And then God says, sacrifice Isaac to me. I mean, you guys, have you ever been in that place where God gave you a promise and then said, now lay it down? I give it back to me? So... You know, we learn from in other places in Scripture, like in Hebrews, that Abraham was like, "Well, God can raise him from the dead, right?" Like that he had this, but he had to be willing to lay down this thing that was the promise of God. That seemed that must have seemed so contradictory to Abraham in that moment. But I think for a man like Abraham, that was the true test. That was the real thing he prized. That was the promise. That was the thing he waited decades and decades of his life believing God for. The other things he had. Um, you know, I love, there's a, um, and this is kind of almost an a inside joke at this point at, at our church, but I can't get through a sermon without referencing or quoting A.W. Tozer. Um, and there's a, there's a chapter in his book, uh, The Pursuit of God, called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing, where he talks about the story. And how, you know, in Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac, even though it seemed contradictory to even what God had spoken uh, it purified something in Abraham's heart. Um, and I think God also in that moment was showing Abraham that he was different than all the other gods who, some of them demanded child sacrifice. And at the end, he stayed Abraham's hand, right? And provided the ram. And I think, you know, we all have those things that we're afraid to give up, but guess what afterwards? Did Abraham still have Isaac? Did it thwart the promises of God in his life or the will of God? No, if anything, it actually purified his heart to be able to handle the promises of God. Um, Did he still have the livestock? Did he still have Sarah? Did he still have his wealth? Yeah. But I bet after that day it was different. Because those things no longer had him. He no longer had to strive to make God's promises come about in his life. I bet there was a level of trust and an understanding that these things weren't really his, right? That they all belong to God anyway. And I think that's also what <clears throat> I think the biblical view of anything that we have in our lives. You know, there's so many blessings. But when we need them instead of God, how many of you guys know we actually end up often disappointed because those things can't fulfill in us the things that that God is meant to? We have these eternal desires for things, and we try to fill them with finite things, and only a, an eternal God can can fill those. That's why sometimes pain feels like it's never going to end, and joy feels like it doesn't last, right, on this side of the resurrection. Um, but an eternal God can put a bottom on the bucket. And then I think we're even, when we're willing to lay those things down, we don't need them. We're often more free to enjoy them or give them to others if God tells us to or whatever. We're just it's, There's a freedom, I think, in this. Um that I, I think Abraham, I'm, it's a little bit of conjecture here, but I think probably knew on the other side of this, uh, on the other side of this experience of having to to trust God with the very promise and be willing to lay it down. And there's a freedom in Abraham's heart. Um, and I, I often think with this stuff, you know, sometimes we project onto God, like, oh, he's just, we almost see him as demanding or he, he requires these things from us, right? And that comes into that kind of heavy view of surrender. But I would encourage you to remember that on this probably very hill, or at least one close by in the region, we don't know exactly which one it was, might have been the very hill where eventually God would sacrifice his son. And how many of you guys know that a good God will not ask you to give up something that he's not willing to himself? And I think sometimes sometimes I gotta start keeping a box of tissues when I preach. I mean, this it really happens every time. <laughs> it happens every time. It's so embarrassing. Um, so, <clears throat> so the uh, you know, I think sometimes we see surrender as this thing of God is just asking us to give something up. He's a killjoy. He's withholding. He's dangling a carrot, right? Um, when I think what is probably more likely the case, is he's actually wanting us to learn to love like he loves. Right? And we see that in the story of Abraham. That not only did he provide the ram for Abraham, but one day he would provide the lamb for the whole world. And how many of you guys know that the Trinity, God himself has this uh, kind of advantage over us, in that he can be other-centered while still loving himself, because there's three in one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we see this almost this dynamic in scripture of you know the Holy Spirit wanting to reveal the heart of the Father and make the image of Jesus known, right? And the Father's like sending forth the Spirit and wanting to send his Son, and Jesus is saying, It's more important that I go so the Spirit can come and wanting to glorify the Father. And we see these members of the Trinity almost always preferring the other, right? Um, and I think there's a there's a, a sense in, in this idea of surrender and in our response to really being invited into that relationship again, which is what the gospel is, is being invited back into that fellowship, that this idea of surrender is how we participate in that same type of love. It starts here by preferring the other because he preferred me. You know, we see that in uh, uh, Philippians where it says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? But came down for us, became man for us. And I think this idea of surrender, of course it's our proper response. He gave everything. Did him who did not spare his own son, will he not freely with him give all good things? Right? Um, I mean, for me, here's a a real real fresh story. This was yesterday. Um, So um, this is one I didn't really kind of even realize I put some hope in and some trust in. But um, there was a job I worked at when I first moved to Denver, about 15 months with uh, kind of a startup, and I had some equity, and had consulted with them for a, a few years before for equity, and was kind of in the back of my head, like, hey, that's that's part of my future, right, was kind of counting on that a little bit, you know, and got some news yesterday that there's going to be an acquisition, but not necessarily in a good way, <laughs> that, like, you know, that's, that equity's not going to be worth much, um, and I found this moment of, like, suddenly my ideas for the future, as small as it was, my plans, some of my own provision, right, when the when the rug gets yanked, who do I really trust with my future, right? Um, and how many of you guys know that we have stories like that over and over and over again in our lives? That's why we're living sacrifices. This isn't a one-time thing. And you know, this is a thing of where yesterday, I'm like, man, I feel really disappointed about this, and I feel kind of mad at God. I'm a little frustrated. But He didn't specifically promise that. That was my own provision, right? He promised he'll provide. He promised that he'll take care of me, you know? Um, Jesus tells us that in Matthew 6, not to worry about what you eat or drink. Like, he has my future. But it may not be the way I try to provide for my future. He may have different plans, right? Um, Do I trust his goodness? Um, And I think a little bit of this is funny. Of course, it always happens, right? Anytime you start preparing a sermon, for any of you who teach, I know Steve probably knows this, like, you'll get tested. You'll get tested with whatever the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, because he wants you to live it before you before you preach it. <clears throat> um, so we're all in this process here. Um And then I think finally, you know, this there's this question of what does it look like? What does it look like for us to surrender practically? Because so it can sound good on a Sunday, you can kind of feel maybe encouraged or but then you leave. And then you kind of fall into your routines. And what does that actually look like? I do think it starts with a choice. I do think it starts with as simple as intending to surrender. Um, I don't think any of us can do it on our own. I don't think I can. I'm capable. All I can do is kind of intend and throw myself at him and then trust him to actually do the work (laughs) in me, right? Um, The best I can do sometimes is lay down my own striving. That's like about, but that's not even really getting out of the hole, right? That's like, that's like on my best days. Um, I need him. But I do think it starts with with an intention. That's why Paul commands us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That is, it is an act. It's an act of coming before the Lord and saying, God, here's the blank check for my life. I haven't filled in the dollar amount, but I signed it. Here you go. Um and then I think it looks like the very next verse where he says do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if you understand Paul's kind of theology, Paul brings in this this idea a lot in his writings of we live in the overlap of these two ages. There is the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, this age the present age that Paul talks about and the age that is coming. And how many of you know we live in this tension between the two, where the king has been inaugurated, the kingdom has begun, but we're not seeing it fully on earth yet until he returns. But we get the first fruits of the age to come, so we get the taste of it. We see healing sometimes, we see deliverances sometimes, but not all the time, right, on this side of the resurrection. And we live in this tension between these two, and we live as ambassadors of the coming kingdom, uh, but still kind of strangers in a foreign land. For the time being. And so it's in this this tension that Paul is, is writing to us, and he's very aware of this. Do not be conformed to this age, the things that are passing away. You know, this. Paul even talks about our bodies as being part of this. You know, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly, day by day, we're being renewed. Set your mind on things above, right? The things that are coming. This is, this is Paul's idea, and so I think it's this intention of my values my hope is my hope in this world and my plans working out or my hope is my hope the emotional weight of my hope in the age to come which side of the resurrection is my hope really on it doesn't mean that we don't exceed the goodness of god in the land of the living we do we see blessings but there's also suffering that's life you know and there's different kinds of suffering some of it everybody experiences we just experience because we're still in a, a world that is not renewed yet um even though legally it was done on the cross, we're still, it hasn't been fully worked out in ourselves, in this world. Sometimes we experience you know, suffering because we're followers of Christ and that just doesn't rub the world right all the time. You know, there's different kinds of sufferings, but there's also goodness and there's also blessing. Um, And the context with which we should live though is that the ultimate goodness is coming one day. And as we focus on that, As we look to the king who is coming, as we see him, we will be like him. That is the process by which we are renewed. So day by day, where is my hope? When I feel disappointed, I think disappointment is a great time to to look at this stuff. Okay, what was I expecting? Where were my expectations? Was it my own plans, my own efforts? Do I trust him? Uh, Do I trust his timing? Do I trust his provision? Do I trust him to be enough? Um, I think it's, it's in... It's in often the the harder moments, the moments of suffering that I think we have an opportunity to examine where is our hope um you know this life it moves quick and there is a lot of pain in it. so where is our hope really um so I think part of part of how we live this out is to just daily make sure that our hope is anchored on the other side of the resurrection. doesn't mean you don't hope for things in this life doesn't mean you don't expect good things and want things for your family and yourselves and but Where's your real hope? Um, and I think it's it's a constant reorienting of ourselves toward that coming age. It's just a daily kind of, okay, where's my compass heading? Right? Because we can get off day by day. I can be like there in my quiet time in the morning, and then an hour later, you know, I'm knee-deep in my inbox, and suddenly I'm not thinking about God at all. Right? And I'm stressed, and I'm anxious, and you feel all the cortisol, and, you know, Um So I think it's also that constant reorienting of ourselves. Um, I think it practically looks like making time to hear his voice. I think a lot of times we don't know because we don't ask. I think we just, and I'm I'm bad about this, I just make decisions, right? And sometimes he doesn't speak to everything. Uh, Sometimes he's given us wisdom and we make a good decision and we kind of know what is right in a situation. But did you ask? Do you know? because maybe he wanted to speak something different. Maybe there's times when the wisdom of man, even our best wisdom, is not what God has, and his wisdom looks different. even looks like foolishness to us, right? The Bible says the wisdom of God is foolishness to man sometimes. So making room to hear his voice and practicing, um, as practical as that is, God does still speak, and he does still care about the little things in our lives. That's still mind-blowing to me that he can keep galaxies spinning and still care about my daily schedule sometimes. And rearrange things so that i run into the right person at the right time that i needed to hear something from or they need to hear something from me um he still cares about the little things so i think sometimes we just don't always make the time myself included uh to ask him and make time to hear his voice i think it looks like uh the washing of your mind with the water of the word like ephesians 5 tells us um there is truth and as we are renewed to his truth we're more able to discern the will of god As we become like him, as we get to know him, because part of this thing of surrender, it's not just finding his will, although Paul tells us that, right? For you will learn to discern the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. But I think there's something along this road, too. There's things about God that you will never get to know if you're not on the road of surrender. And it's a road. You can get on it. You can hop off it. I think sometimes we get on a little bit and we feel better because we're more on it than the last guy. You know, but down that road a little ways it takes a turn and we can't see where it goes and we don't like that But it's his road and I think he's asking us today. We we get on my road You know, some of you maybe you're on it and you're farther along it than I am and you should be up here preaching this message You got god stories, you know, because that's what I want at the end of my life. I want I want god stories I think you don't get those without being on that road of surrender You know, um And even when it's hard, and even when it's confusing, and even when you're um, mad about it, which let's be honest, we've all been there, you're choosing to stay on the road. It's like when Jesus turns to Peter and is like, are you going to go? And he says, where else could I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Essentially, yes, I'm as offended as those people who just walked away, but nobody else has eternal life, so i got—I got no options. My eggs are all in this basket. You know, I'm already all in. I've already pushed all my chips in. And choosing to stay on that and trusting that by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit will bring to completion the work he started. Um, and it's not striving. There's a choice sometimes, sometimes it's not easy, but it's not striving. The striving usually comes from the tension with the unrenewed parts of us. That's where that striving comes from. The things in us that want to earn it ourselves, that want to control, that want to... That's what causes the striving, not not the good news, not the Holy Spirit. Uh, we cause most of that ourselves, <laughs> if we're honest. Um by trying to wrestle control from God over things we have no way of controlling or no way of knowing how it should be controlled. So what's the outcome of this? Um, The outcome is that you will learn to know the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Does it say miserable and awful? And no, it says good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, there may be some things right now that feel bad to you, that on the other side of some sanctification after you've been on the road for a while, your idea of good may change a little bit. But I can assure you that by the time you get through the pro- like, you get down that road of surrender, you won't look back with regret for what the Lord did. Even if the good now looks different than the good. Because Paul, when he's talking good here, he's writing to a church that's persecuted. He's writing to a church that, you know, what good looks like for us in our kind of, you know, very comfortable American lives, very different from the audience he was writing to. So this idea of good, again, Paul's writing from this eternal perspective, right? What is ultimately good? the glorification of the saints, that will look like the sun, right? The new heaven, the new earth. Those are the things that we are being, that we can trust Christ is, through the power of his spirit, and our father is moving us towards, and we can trust his road. Um, so your definition of good may change, but it is going to be good. And pleasing, pleasing to God, but also, how many know that the more, the closer we grow to God, the more joy we feel, in his will the more joy we feel the more peace you know this on this road like it's there's some things that'll get knocked out of you if you've been on the road for a while you know yeah you may have to lay some things down that you wanted but also along the way some some insecurities get knocked out of you some fears some anxieties you know you get a little more bold Um, you know him more you feel more at ease and at peace you know you have more to be able to offer others because of your walk with the lord you know he's able to use us you know and we're able to experience the joy of being used by him we can you can live more free from the anxiety of missing god's will cuz paul tells us this is one of the this is one of the keys to discerning it is to submit yourself as a living sacrifice um you know i have had stories in my life where you know he asked me just to move everything it's happened a couple times actually denver was one of those a couple years ago uh, Dallas before that, when he told me to go to seminary in, in Dallas, I didn't know anybody. Put everything in the U-Haul on about 30 days' notice. Um, felt like the Lord confirmed it, and I had a name on a sticky note. A woman my mom had met at a conference that said she was a widow and said, hey, I have extra rooms if your son needs a place to stay till he finds an apartment and a job. He can. My sons actually went to the seminary I went to, her sons had, and graduated. and She was like, you need to have a place to stay. So I had her address and name. And that's it. Um, and, you know, but when I got there, I saw that the Lord had gone ahead of me to prepare a place. The first person I met in student orientation, it would be one of my best friends uh, and my roommate. First apartment I looked at worked out. First job I applied for I got. He provided, right? But it was only on the other side <laughs> that that I was able to see that. And, you know, so is, is there times when it's been scary? Yes. Um but was he faithful? Yes. Um, am I glad now that I obeyed, even if in the middle of it I wasn't, sometimes I was kicking and screaming? Yes. Um, do Am I still struggling to surrender other areas of my life? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Do I still have idols every day? Right? Um, there's a great prayer in that same chapter um, of... In the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, where he has a little prayer at the end where he says, I want to know thee, Father, but my coward heart is afraid to give up its toys. <laughs> and how many of you guys know <laughs> that is all of us on a daily basis? Um, and But do I try to stay on the road, even when I'm confused, even when I'm offended at God? Yeah, because I want to know him. And I think there's things about him that you can't know any other way there's no, there's no shortcuts to some of this stuff, you know? Um, but I think it's worth it. And I would like to, you know, remind us that long before, you know, even the sacrifice of Isaac, that wasn't Abraham's first surrender. I mean, you guys know God came to him and called him out of his homeland, away from everything he knew out into the wilderness, not knowing where he's going to end up or what was going to happen and said, follow me. You know, now Abraham, he could have said no, and how many of you guys know that it was through Abraham that God launched his plan of redemption for not just Abraham's descendants, but the whole world. Through him, he would redeem all nations back to himself out from under the powers of darkness. Did Abraham know all that at the time? You know, Abraham probably had some plans for himself and his own future, I imagine. He clearly had a, he's somewhat wealthy because he had some livestock when he left, you know? He wasn't a... He probably had a fairly comfortable life in his his hometown, but God called him out, and now Abraham could have said no, and but how tragic would that have been for Abraham, never knowing what he he may have missed out on. God's plan. God would have found somebody. He would have found his man, and God would have accomplished His will. But Abraham may not. He may not have used Abraham, and that loss. Here we are, thousands of years later, still. Eating the fruit of Abraham's obedience. That's why we're together in this room. Is because he was obedient. Now, granted, again, I know God could have accomplished his will, or at least I believe that. Um, but not maybe not through Abraham. And he's a part of our spiritual heritage now, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul tells us that in just a uh, chapter before this. Where you know grafted into that, that branch. So I think in light of that. I would say, yes, sometimes it can feel a little scary to, to surrender, to give God that blank check. But I think if we see it from heaven's perspective, again, that kind of story of Abraham being called, we should actually be more scared not to. You know, because what God has in store may not be everything our flesh wants, but eternally it's so much better. He has bigger plans than you can imagine. You know, Abraham didn't even get to see them all in his lifetime. You know, he was watching from the bleachers in heaven for a lot of this stuff. Um, that's how big God's plan is because it's eternal. It's not just about what happens in this life. Um, So let me pray for us here and then you can kind of help me close, Steve. I don't know what we, did you want to, go ahead and come back up. Father, we want to know you, but we're afraid to give up our toys. And we love you and we just say that we trust you. Lord, if there's any heart in this room that you're you're moving on even now um, to lay something down, would you just reassure them you're, you're better, that your way is good, um, that so many of the things you want us that we think will make us happy, you're actually trying to save us from being disappointed over and over again by taking our hearts to things that can never do what you can do. And so we just give you that blank check this morning. You know, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you, you can pray this in your own way as I pray it, but... Father, we just say we surrender in light of what you have done for us, in light of the price that you paid, Jesus. uh, We just repent for doubting your goodness because you have proved it. That is all the proof we ever need was on that cross, that you are good and that you love us and that your plans for us are eternally good. So we surrender. Would you use us? Would you use us and through our surrender of everything, the good and the bad, our weaknesses, our frailty, our doubts, our anger, um, our selfish and vain ambition, um, our, our fears that cause us to control. Um, in spite of everything, God, we just give all of that to you and we say, use it. Would you make yourself glorified? Would you help us to find that good and pleasing and perfect will? Um, and we just say, uh, we trust you and we say that we believe, help our unbelief in the areas where we may not trust yet, uh, we still, as best as we can, give those things to you. And would you move, and would you teach us to trust you? Would you keep us on your road um, of surrender and have your way? In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, Ben. Yeah, give, ben, thank you for that message. Man, there were several things there
0: that, uh, boy... Um, do you trust me, or do you need to understand? Um, what a line. Uh, I hope that you uh, you took some notes. Uh, the other one is, if you want God's stories, you got to get on the road of surrender. Um, boy, those those hit me. Um, man, let's continue the journey. If you want prayer this morning, if any of that touched you, I know Ben is here, would love to pray with you. We're all here. Michael, Sarah, Michelle, and I, and other leaders here that would love to pray. But, um... Thanks for being here. And, uh, man, why don't we just close this Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.